Hello, Career Cohort. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Emily Wong, founder of Words of Distinction. We talk about tools for achieving career success, inspirational stories about overcoming career and life challenges, and how we can recalibrate our perspective to better enjoy the journey forward. Hello, listeners. Today, I have a very special guest, Shelly Piedmont, who is a fellow career coach, and she's a job search expert, and I'm really excited to have her. As an HR professional for over 20 years, Shelly has read thousands of resumes and interviewed too many clients to count. She's hired for everything from entry-level hourly positions to senior leaders on behalf of Fortune 500s small and private businesses, and everything in between. Shelly has been a corporate recruiter, HR manager and director, and holds two senior certifications in human resources. In 2018, she launched her own company to help job seekers find work they can love. She helps job seekers find career clarity, develop a job search strategy, and market themselves through a targeted resume, engaging LinkedIn profile, and through preparation for interviews. So welcome, Shelly. Well, thank you, Emily. It's nice to be here. I'm always excited when I can learn from people who are just outside of what I do. You bring such a great perspective because you have actually been on the front lines of hiring. So I think this is going to be a real treat for our listeners to hear your perspective. Yes, I did hiring uh, probably for the vast majority of my professional career. Um, So I have probably experienced every type of interaction you can from an employer's perspective. And obviously, of course, I have been on the other side as I have found jobs too. So yes, I like to share my wisdom with your audience. Absolutely. So we're going to just dive right in. And let's just start with talking about the different types of interviews. I know there are different types of interviews, but in general, how would you say clients or how would you say candidates should prepare for their interviews? Well, I think it's a multi-prong approach. And thankfully, uh, with the internet, it makes it so much easier than it used to be decades ago. So... I think you should really approach it kind of from three ways. One is you certainly need to understand about the role. Now, the job description is a great place to start, and I'm a big advocate of reading that multiple times and really trying to understand what that employer is looking for. Each employer is a little bit different. And even with the same title, they may be looking for different skills. So that's where you need to go back to that job description and really understand that. The second thing is understanding the employer. Now, first stop is usually their website, but depending on the employer, there may not be a lot there or it could be a lot there, just depending. But I always say that is the first step, but it's not the only step. You really want to get an idea of what that company is about. So that is not only from a business perspective, what they do, 
what's their competition, things like that. Then also about the culture, because every company, even within the same industry, companies have different perspectives. They operate differently. And so you want to understand that because that's going to be very important when you go to answer questions, that you understand what they value and their perspective on business. And then another thing you want to do is also look at the person that will be interviewing you or people um, and see a little bit about them. What makes them tick? So LinkedIn is a great way to do that. Now, most recruiters are on there and a hiring manager may not be active on there, but likely they will have a profile. And depending on what they put in there, that can give you some ideas about who they are, what what has been their career trajectory, um, what do they feel is important. You know, what they write on there gives you some ideas. So that helps to get a little bit of a clear idea of the people that you'll be talking to and what they might feel is important. So that type of research is really helpful. And then what you want to do is once you understand that, all three of those things, then you want to look back at your career, your knowledge, your skills, your experience, and you want to then correlate that. So what they feel is going to be a value based on your research, you want to look in your background and see where you have experienced that or where your skills have shown. And then you want to think about how do you want to talk about that in an interview. So that is first identifying those knowledge, skills, and um, experiences, your um, abilities, and then what are the stories around those that you can tell during the interview that will impress that employer. So it seems like a lot of work, I know. Um, Once you get kind of good at this, it it doesn't get to be too long, um, but you do need to take as long as you feel that you need to be really comfortable um, being prepared because being prepared is one of the keys for success in an interview. You control the narrative because you understand what you want to say. And even when you get one of those questions that might, you know, make you a little curious, like you're not really um, prepared, you didn't prepare for that, you at least can go back to your research, think about, well, why would they be asking this? What can I show of value and get back on, on your game plan? Yeah, you really brought up some great points. I think we really need to think about the culture and one of the things that you brought up. And, you know, going back to that job description, you can tell what kind of company often by the language that they're using in that job description. And as you said on their website, what their social media is. And if they're a playful company, you can use sort of that playful language in your LinkedIn profile or your resume. Um, If you're going after, I I should step back when I say LinkedIn profile, that needs to attract a broader audience. But if you're applying to companies that are kind of, it's younger, younger 
group, um, kind of more of a modern brand, you can be a little bit more playful. Maybe if you're in banking, you're going to be a little bit more staid, right? So I think that's a really great point. And to your point about it sounding like a lot of work, and it does sound daunting at first, but I don't know if you've read Carrie Twigg's book, uh, Career Mm -hmm. Stories. Yeah, it's a great book. And I love her little exercise of saying, okay, take a stack of index cards and every day write a story, just one story, and maybe do seven to 10 of these stories. And I'd be very surprised that if you did this exercise, that you wouldn't be able to use one of those stories for one of those questions from the interviewer. Yes, exactly. So, you know, what you can do is, and when I teach my interview prep clients is when you get a question, kind of quickly think, why would they be asking this question? So as an example, someone's asking about multitasking, you know, when was the last time that you had to to juggle multiple projects? Okay, why are they asking that? Well, likely because in this job you have to multitask. Okay, so what do you need to show? Well, you need to show that you successfully have been able to multitask. So you go back to your stories and you think, okay, if you've looked in the job description, they likely have also put in multitasking. So when you've read that job description, you should go back through your stories and think, where have I done multitasking? And then you can tell that story quickly, right? You can think of it quickly. You've already remembered it. And then you can use that in your answer to make a really strong case that you do know how to multitask and you can do it successfully. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And it, it, your, your point about understanding why they're asking that question. So then you can pull out the right tool in, in terms of what your answer is going to be. Mm-hmm. So let's start from the beginning because I believe that depending on whom you're talking to, your interview and how you approach that interview might be a little bit different for each. So let's start with the screening interview that comes from HR. Okay. And those are the ones that I generally conducted, thousands of them. And uh, the recruiter is the person who is essentially trying to take the vast majority of applicants and make that group smaller. And so what usually happens is the recruiter has viewed applications and has decided that a group are the best fit um, for the job. And then they will try to get more information from those people, usually to reduce that number to a group that they would then recommend that the hiring manager then interview. So uh, they're going to be looking for different things in this, this interview. Now, your recruiters often are not technical experts in the jobs that they are hiring for. So as an example, I hired for operations, finance, IT, customer service, uh, you name it. But I wasn't an expert in all those jobs because I didn't do those jobs. 
But what I did as a recruiter is um, I would have conversations with the hiring manager prior to us posting the job so that I had a good idea of what the important things that this role needed skills, knowledge, experience, and also maybe some of the hot buttons that this particular hiring manager had. And that just be could be personal preference or it could be their situation at that time. So when I was a recruiter, then I would ask questions to try to ascertain the answers to those questions. Does the person have the skill, knowledge, experience, or if there's anything in particular that they needed um, I want to make sure that I was sure that they did prior to me passing them on potentially. The other thing that I did was I was also a gatekeeper for culture. So in my role, I also was ascertaining whether the person would be a good fit for not only the company, but also for that hiring manager, potentially the team. So that was one of the things I personally tried to do. And I know a lot of recruiters do that. Um, and other things like we might also um, want to check on their communication skills. So to be effective in most organizations, you need to have a communication skills. Now it can be different depending on the role. So we often were checking on that and having conversations with people often was a good way to figure that out. And, you know, one of the classic questions that recruiters are going to ask is about salary requirements, too. Again, that is a qualification that most recruiters will want to know about um, before they move people through the process. Because if the requirements of the candidate and the company are very far apart, uh, then likely you can't make a a, a situation work and therefore you want to keep everybody from spending a lot of time in the interview process when you can't get a positive result. So you brought up a really good point, Shelley. What do you think about the advice that is often given to candidates, job seekers before they go into that first interview and they might get asked that question and they're, they're given this advice that well, you might want to stave off that answer a little bit. So maybe you could say something like, you know, I need to learn a little bit more about what this job entails. Is it is this something that I can give an answer to later? Or putting the question back to the recruiter as in, can you tell me what the range is? Is that proper etiquette? So there's a lot of philosophy <laughs> and guidance that many people have about negotiations on salary and how to approach this, this question. From what I've explained, there's a reason why recruiters ask it, right? And so most are not, I won't say all. Um, but as I've talked to recruiters and in my own experience, a lot of them don't want to push that conversation off, um, knowing that if they don't get that information up front, it can cause issues on the back end. As an example, when I was a recruiter, the worst thing for me would have been 
to get to the offer stage and realize that we were not even close. Then what it looked bad on me because I didn't do my job to qualify that person prior to the hiring manager getting involved. And I always had to think about the hiring manager's time from a company perspective. They're better, their time is better suited to doing their job, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we are working on hiring and there's no way for that relationship with that candidate to work in the long term, I've kind of wasted everybody's time. So that would look bad on me and my reputation. So what I would suggest that uh, candidates do and what I tell my clients is if you get the question, which you likely will, you know, you can ask if that the employer will provide you with a range. Now, some Some employers never will give you a range, period, end of story. That's not in their process. Now, but that doesn't mean everybody and doesn't mean that some recruiters won't tell you the range. But that would be preferable because at least you understand where that employer is coming from. But if they are not able to or willing to give you a range, then you may get pressed if you say, well, we're going to talk about it, or I'd like to learn more and go through the process, then you may get a lot of pushback from the recruiter that, yes, we need to talk about this. And you surely have come into this conversation with some idea of what you want. And so you may get a lot of pushback if you try that and to uh, by the recruiter um, that. So always be prepared to have some sort of range in mind. And I would not give a single amount of money, but I would have a range um, that you have researched so you know that it is, it is within the market. It should not necessarily be based on what you've made before because the market is for this job, potentially in this location. But so do that research and then know what you should be expecting. And then you should put numbers in there that you would be comfortable getting. So that would be my advice. And then, of course, if you are far apart from what the employer is going to offer, some recruiters will just up and tell you that that you're not within the range or some won't. And they'll just say we can't make this work out. And then they'll, you know, end the conversation and you'll get a little email that says, you know, you're not within or you're not going to be considered to move on. Um, But. You know, if you are far apart and they can't, they aren't willing to move up to where you are, then that probably did save you time, right? So, um, you know, that's kind of how I would approach it. But candidates, don't be surprised by the question. It is likely going to happen and make sure you're preparing for that so you are comfortable having that conversation. That's my advice for you. So what I'm hearing from you, Shelly, is that 
being a little coy and saying, well, I want to learn a little bit more just doesn't doesn't hold up well with recruiters because they expect you to have really done your research, uh, partly on the company and partly through Glassdoor or somewhere to understand what the market is. I am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I'm, to some degree, yes. You've applied for the job. So their expectation is you know of, about what you're applying for, and therefore you should have an idea of what that type of job will pay because we have so many tools here uh, now that you can look at that. Now, somebody who, you know, many, many years ago, maybe that would be an okay approach as they go went through the interview process because they would be learning more about it. But I don't know that that, that approach is going to be terribly successful um, nowadays. It, it, it could potentially be on occasion, but I think most recruiters, because their job is to qualify people, that is what they're going to try to do. Okay. So th the answer, I think, is know what your range is going to be so you can answer that question. And do hiring managers even or I'm sorry, recruiters, do they even ask what you're currently making anymore? Or is that kind of dated now? Is that, is it legal? So it is illegal in some places. Yes. It is shunned upon where it is not illegal because we know that what a person is currently making in their job really shouldn't have relevance to what the job is worth in the marketplace. And of course, we know that uh, women and minorities often start at a lower base in their career, and therefore they may be making less than their peers, and therefore we're perpetuating this inequality. So uh, I know in my most recent employer, um, we actually stopped asking for current salary many, many years ago um, because we as a company um, decided that that was not how we wanted to operate, that people should make what the market says the job is worth. We're, uh, and we're hiring them for their skills. So we should understand that they can do the job. So. If somebody does ask that question and the client or the candidate could possibly say, you know, so, so say somebody does ask that question, what are you making now? That person could say, well, I'd like to know more about what your range is moving forward. I'm thinking ahead. So that seems like that would be appropriate. Yes. If somebody's asking you your current salary, then one, you could answer it if that is something you wanted to do, but I would not feel compelled to answer that question because it really is not relevant to the conversation about salary. It should be based on the job that you're applying for. And if you know your market numbers, then you should talk about that. Right. Okay, great. Now, moving on to the next interview where, where you're interviewing with the hiring manager, how is that different from the screening interview? So the hiring manager interview will be more usually in depth um, and it will be more 
about the particular job, the job duties, the expectations, um, more probably about different experiences or situations you've been that would relate to that job. So they're going to ask about that. Um, they may ask about um, how you work in a team. No, they know their team. And so they may want to know more about how you might interact with other members of the team. They may want to know more about how you like to be managed. And so they can assess whether their management style will work for you. Um, and then, of course, they also may want to do some culture checks as well to ensure that overall you fit in with the company. Um, because, you know, for a hiring manager, their success is dependent upon your success. And so they want to make sure that you can do well in the job because then they can also excel in their job. Is this also where the behavioral interview would come in or would that be in the screening process? It can come in here. I mean, uh, the recruiter or hiring manager may choose behavioral type questions that they feel that it will give them the answers that they need for what they're trying to accomplish. But the hiring manager interview because it's a little bit longer and it's a little bit more specific to experiences, often will have behavioral type questions because then they can better gauge whether the person has had different experiences and, and how they have reacted to those situations. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes with what you were talking about with the cultural fit too. So I'm guessing to your so I come from a corporate background and if I were going into a meeting with someone who is an assistant, they need to know certain information. Uh, if I were talking to someone who is my peer, I might go into, especially if I'm an engineer or, you know, I'm working on pro special project, I would go take a deeper dive into the specifics. If I'm talking to somebody who's senior level, which job candidates often do, right? They go through these different levels of people they're talking to. I know if I had two minutes with a senior executive, I would be really, really careful about my word count in that conversation, <laughs> right? So I'm guessing that would be your uh, kind of advice to your style of, of communicating. O obviously, you would be respectful with everyone, but it's, it's like how much information you share, would well, you have right? to understand what each person's goal is. And then they come in with a strategy. So what is their goal? So a peer, um, they may be brought into the conversation because they can tell you more about the job, potentially, what it's like to work there. And also they may be gauging kind of, is this a person that I would like to work with, right? So you know, in those cases... One of the big things you likely want to do as a candidate is try to build rapport, right? Um, and make it so that that person feels like you would be a good person on the team, that you have the knowledge that you could pull your own weight. Maybe they could learn something from you and you would just be a fun person that maybe they would want to go to lunch with. You know, that's the sort of vibe that you want to get in that type of interview, right? So, 
when you talk about like an indirect manager, right? So the indirect manager, depending on the relationship with the hiring manager, they may be just sort of checking things off, meaning they trust the hiring manager's judgment, but because this person is going to be part of their team, they want to make sure that they meet the person, understand a little bit about them. And certainly um, if there was any red flags that they would be there to maybe see those and then have a discussion with a hiring manager about that. So that may be the case. If it's a new hiring manager, then they may be wanting to kind of do a parallel hiring manager interview because they want to make sure that they have the information to be able to help that hiring manager also make the appropriate choice. And it may be also a part of a training or teaching moment um, so that they have the same information and they can have discussions. So, you know, Part of that is maybe looking at LinkedIn and seeing the tenure of the people in their positions, and then you can maybe gauge a little bit about what that might be about. But, you know, you just know that I think with the indirect manager or if it is somebody else uh, within the organization that they come in with an agenda, they're brought into the process for a specific reason. Yeah. And I, I would think too, that you would want to have this, what I'm hearing when you say parallel manager, correct me if I'm wrong, Shelly, but are you talking about, so say somebody is getting hired for a sales role and they bring someone in from distribution, who's a peer of the hiring manager, because that person wants to make sure that this person is a team player, because there's so much cross-functionality involved and teamwork involved. Is that one of the things that you're talking yes. about here too? So it's not uncommon that if the individual that's to be hired is going to work with other functional areas, that you would want to have them part of the process and get their buy-in that this person would be a, a good fit. Because we all know that if someone doesn't like a new hire for whatever reason it might be, that can make that person's job very difficult and they can even sabotage that person. So uh, having that buy-in, having agreement that this person is the best fit for the job helps pave the way um, because then all these people in that process do have ownership over the success of that person. So that's even though sometimes I know candidates feel like, oh, I'm having one interview after another. If they are hired, this can actually be a plus for them because since these people are all part of the decision to bring them on board, they do have some ownership over their success. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's better to know on the front end, right? Mm -hmm. If it's going to be a good fit. Uh, you know, at the end of the interview, there's off, often, okay, do you have any more questions? And we're taught that you should always have a question for that, right? But what if you're answering, you know, if you're asking questions and really like deep questions and, and really meaningful questions throughout do you really have to ask that question in the end? Do you, ha you have to respond with, yes, I have one more question? So I think you have to play it by ear. I mean, I have had interviews where the, the candidate asks questions 
throughout the interview and they were very good questions. And so when I asked them at the end, do you have any more questions? You know, they kind of chuckled and said, well, you've, I've asked a lot of questions and you certainly have been really good about answering them. And so I didn't feel at that point anything negative toward the person because they did ask really great questions. So uh, I think at that point, it was appropriate for them to respond that way because throughout the interview, they, they were asking really good questions. This is usually more of an issue with the person who has not asked any questions through the interview process. And then when you get to the end and you know that they should have questions because this is going to be their job. And in that period of time, there's no way you can go over everything that if they don't have a question, you know, then it's, you know, you kind of think, well, are they really interested in the job? Do they really understand the job? Um, so the, you have all these co concerns that can pop up when you when people don't have anything that they want to ask of you in the process. So I would always encourage people to have a few questions that they think are important for them and kind of write those down and, you know, kind of go through them at the end of the interview if that hadn't been asked prior or answered prior. But one of the things I do suggest, you can go on the internet and you can find questions to ask at the end of the interview. There's tons of them. But the really important thing I believe is what is important for you to know about the job to understand if it's the right fit for you. It's no sense asking questions that are not relevant to your decision-making or to your understanding of the job. And I know some people just ask questions for question's sake, and I would encourage you not to do that. But think about what is what are those kind of deal breakers, the things that are going to be really important for you to know ahead of time before you even get an offer to know if you want to even pursue this. And then figure out questions that address that. So as an example, if growth is really important to you, I want to grow, I want to learn, then you would want to ask a question around how does this manager grow people over time? What, is, what does the person do? And do people get promoted or moved into other departments potentially? That would be a great question to ask if that is what is important to you. If it's not important to you, then probably skip that and go and ask another question that would answer something that is important to you. Yeah. And the thing is that if, if I were sitting in the seat of the hiring manager and somebody didn't ask a question, I'd wonder, is this person curious? And I think we're all curious. And I think the questions we ask, first of all, there are no dumb questions, right? Because if you're you're looking at this role and you're deeply interested and that question comes from a good place and not, as you said, from a list on the internet, that's a great question. And you should ask that question. And then going back to the salary ranges again. So say the, no one has talked about the range at all, right? You're at the hiring manager level 
interview. And still at the end of that conversation, nobody has mentioned the salary because a lot of states now are requiring transparency, at least on the range. Is it appropriate to ask at that end of that conversation with the hiring manager, can you provide that range to me? So are you asking, Emily, if they have range information and you want to clarify it or they have no information on salary and they are, they're starting that conversation? Great question. It, it would be if nobody has brought this up yet. Or does that even happen well, at that point? It could happen. Um, and I guess it really would depend on the organization. But as I said before, probably is not a common occurrence that you're getting very far into the process and no one has brought that that topic up. But if it did happen, then you have to make a decision. And maybe some of that has to do with what that interaction has has been, both with if you've had a recruiter interaction or HR and the hiring manager. So if you're getting the sense that potentially this is a great job and you want to know more, you know, about the company and et cetera, then you may think my best strategy is to not say anything until I get to an offer stage or in the further along, because I have the best leverage at that point, because as it's, like I said, it's a funnel of candidates. And you, when you get to the end, there's only a few, if maybe just one candidate, and you have more leverage over those negotiations because now they've decided they want you. Okay. So that, that could be a strategy. But if you also are thinking, I don't know if this is the right job for me. And you think, well, I just need to cut to the chase because I really wouldn't take this job unless it pays whatever it is. Then maybe you want to have that conversation then and there because that conversation then will tell you whether you even want to continue the process. So it's dependent on your situation your strategy, how you feel about the job. So I can't say one is necessarily the right way to do it. I would just say, you know, you kind of think of your options, what is probably best for you in that situation. And then I would go, go with it. This is really helpful advice, Shelly, because you kind of laid out these different scenarios where it would be a good idea. And I think that's really helpful to the listeners. Thank you for explaining yeah, that. Yeah, I'm a big person where you I can give general advice, but I always tell everybody your situation may be different. And therefore, you need to make your strategy and your actions based upon your specific situation. For some people... Their salary is their primary motivator. And therefore, they are not going to take a job that's any less than whatever the amount. If that is a make or break thing, then yes, you may want to have that conversation early in the process because that is the most important thing. 
If it's not, and you have other things that are more important to you, then that may be an opportunity to have that conversation later in the process. You gather more information and you may find that there are other things that you would potentially want to negotiate on um, in addition to money that may be more important to you. As, uh, as an example, nowadays, people want a lot of people want to work remotely or have great flexibility. And so that may be even a higher priority than salary. Yeah, I think it, it, what it comes down to is understanding how, the, how to read the room and gathering information as you go through these uh, interviews to understand the importance that they put on those other areas so that you could have that in the back of your mind is this company going to be flexible? Are they going to offer ample childcare or will I need to negotiate that in? Okay. So after the interviews, what do you think, you know, if somebody, they go through the screening process, they haven't heard in two weeks, what's your advice there? Okay. First of all, I'm going to have advice for people when they're finishing up an interview. If you're going to ask one question, Make it, what is this process going to look like going forward? And when can I expect to hear something? Walk out of that conversation with that information. It's very important because then you have an idea of what should happen. Now, does it mean that they necessarily will keep to that timeline? Because it's a business and things happen. People go on vacation or there's an emergency. Someone gets sick. Who There could be millions of reasons why they can't meet that timeline. But that at least gives you then the opportunity to know when to reach back, who to reach back to. And you can do it in a way that's very nice, engaging, reminding them that you were uh, told that you would expect some sort of answer. That way you feel comfortable with the follow-up. And again, it can trigger that organization then to provide the information. And that can be, if you are not going to be moving forward, letting you know that or at least some indication that it's going to take longer than they anticipated. So that's what I suggest people do so they don't wait and not know what to do and when to reach out. So uh, that's my that's my feelings about how to handle that situation so you don't find yourself, you know, sitting there and worried because you haven't heard anything. Yeah. And not take it personally, right? Because there are, there's usually a process involved, uh, especially if there's the screening person from HR, they've interviewed and they understand that, well, okay, I should have an answer in a week. However, they are also at the mercy of the hiring manager and the higher ups who are also might say, hey, hold on, we're not really ready yet to move forward to, to the next steps, right? So I think that's important to keep in mind for our listeners who are feeling anxious that, oh, no, they don't like me, so they're not calling me back. Yeah, I can tell you, it was so many times 
when I had anticipated we would be able to have a decision in a certain period of time. And that was based on the conversations I've had, I had with people. And then I go to find out something else has happened in the department. Someone was called away. They haven't been able to get together the team to talk about the decision. There's so many things. And so, yes, things then would get delayed. It wasn't personal. It had really almost nothing to do with the individual. It just had to do with business necessity. And so uh, then I would have to get back in touch with a person and say, I'm, I apologize. I thought we would have a, a decision at this point. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be delayed for a period of time. Please hang in there. I will get back to you. Yeah. And, and also the... Um... Going back to following up after the interview is obviously sending that thank you note. And in that thank you note, maybe they can say, okay, as discussed, I look forward to hearing from you in two weeks. And I wonder also if that's a good time to, you know, if the interview ha interviewer had a concern, maybe it was about a gap or something like that. Would that also be a good time to write in that note? Uh, just wanted to reiterate why there's this perceived gap in my resume or, or whatever that is, maybe put that in the thank you note because thank you notes are really important. Yes. You should send a thank you note. It's just an acknowledgement uh, of the time that was spent. And again, it's a little bit of a marketing piece too. Um, it shows your professionalism. It is a way to bring back, you know, highlights of the conversation, jogs people's memory. You you were the only one that was interviewed. I mean, you did the interview. You know what you talked about. But maybe that day they were interviewing five, six people. So um, that helps jog their memory. And if you sense there, there were some issues, either expressed out loud or you kind of got the feeling about that based on how people reacted to your interview, then you might want to, if you think it will benefit your cause, um, talk about short in a short way um, what what that was and, you know, how you can kind of counter that, um, you know, and that could be assuaging people's feelings about, uh, you know, potentially if you were a job hopper, that you are committed, you want to stay at a job for a long period of time, and that if you feel like this is the right fit job, and if that's the case, then there would be no reason for you to want to look elsewhere. Yeah, that's that's great. And, and the marketing piece is so important, as you said, just a couple of highlights of why you're the person who's going to add that value. And so you have hired so many people during your career, Shelly, what are some, maybe the number one or the number one and number two mistakes you see candidates making during interviews? The biggest mistakes I see is that the candidate doesn't understand what this interview is about. <laughs> and what I mean by that is from where I stand and from doing tons of interviews and training people how to conduct interviews. Most interviews are around three main areas. They are, 
Can the person do the job? Does the person want to do this job? So they're interested in it. And is the person, a per, is this individual a person that the hiring team would like to work with? Okay. So that's really the three things that are being judged in, in an interview. And so as a candidate, you need to be prepared to show your value to that audience in all three areas. And so that is when I talk about research. So you understand what that is, and then you can talk about that in an interview. So a lot of people concentrate on, can I do the job part? And that's extremely important, but oftentimes they forget the other two parts. And so I, I want to ask people, one, do your research and two, understand the three areas so that you can address all three in your interview. So just as that person who's interviewing you has a strategy about what they want to ask so that they get the information that they need to make an assessment, you as the person being interviewed should also have a strategy because that strategy for you is what are you going to say? What are you going to ask? How are you going to show yourself so that you answer all three of those questions that I can do the job, that I want to do the job, and that I would be a person that these these individuals would like to work with. That's a really great um those that trifecta is fantastic. And it's also, you know, to put our listeners' minds at ease too, remember you're going into this interview as somebody who is really curious about whether that company is the right fit for you, right? If the job is the right fit, if the people within that culture are the right fit. So you have every right to ask these questions as well. And when you bring that kind of energy where you're also very curious about them, I think it helps kind of ease that anxiety. Would you say so? Yeah, I think I look back at those people that were really successful in their interviews is that we really had a conversation. It wasn't an interrogation. It was a conversation. And I was always impressed about the people who really were trying to figure out if the role was a good fit for them. Because if you do, then you will be able to really excel in that job. And I wanted people who were going to excel in the job. That was best for the business. So I had no problem when people did that. I thought it was great. And it was actually quite impressive. So is there anything we didn't cover, Shelley, that we should... We, we really covered a lot and you brought so much knowledge. Thank you. Yeah. The only thing I would think that we didn't cover is just about how to answer questions and just some words of advice. The I talk about stories because stories are really helpful for people to understand your situation. They can visualize that. And it also, because you have to set the stage, you have to talk about what happened. Um, there's some credibility 
to those stories. It's hard to make up stories on the fly for a situation. And you can usually tell when somebody really has experienced something and when they're kind of fudging it a little bit. So those stories are important. So I always encourage those those interviewer, excuse me, interviewees to think about the story and then also the structure of the story. So the structure is important. Structure should include kind of the setup, like what what's going on at the time. Um, you know, it can be about what you were asked to do or what you decided to do. It can also employ, you know, all the important details about your actions. Now, you don't want to go too far into the weeds. You just want to make sure that you are providing enough information so the person can understand what actually was going on. And then importantly, what's the finish to it? The finish is usually, well, what happened? What were the results? And if you can throw in some metrics to show that, that's even better. But a lot of people answer questions in generalities. Well, in this kind of situation, I would usually do this. And then they go on about how they generally would handle a situation. That is not as helpful as when you actually can give a specific to show you actually have experienced that, what you did, and what was the ultimate result. Yeah, results are so important. And tying it back to that, the setup, as you said, it's kind of like the car stories, right? Because people always want to hear kind of a, I don't know if underdog story is the right term, but they want to know what that situation is to build that interest, right? To kind of hook them. And then also to tie it back at the end with, you know, why it's relevant to this company and their particular challenges, right? Well, absolutely. And that's why having a number of stories is helpful kind of in your back pocket, because when you get asked a question, then you can quickly think which story would be the most relevant for this particular company and the question that they're asking. So that helps right? Um, To do that. So that's where, you know, your practice thinking about this prior to your interview really helps because then you're not sitting there going, hmm, what am I going to say? You've got it right at the top of your head and you can quickly um, cover that that information. This is a great way to end this conversation. Shelly, you brought so much knowledge. Thank you so, so much for coming. It's great to have you here. Oh, my pleasure. This is a topic I love to talk about. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell you're very passionate about it and so knowledgeable. So how can our listeners connect with you? Well, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can find me there uh, under Shelly Piedmont. I encourage you to follow or connect with me. You can also go to my website. Uh, it's uh, ShellyPiedmont.com. And I've got a blog there and I publish bi-weekly. It could be anything from salary negotiations, interview prep, resumes, career challenges, uh, anything to do with careers and job search. Well, I'll definitely be visiting your website, Shelley. Thanks again. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Career Cohort. I'm Emily Wong. You can find all my podcasts and blog posts at wordsofdistinction.net. And if you'd like to chat about how I can help you define the next step in your career and achieve your goals, head on over to the same website and book a time on my calendar for a free consult. In the meantime, please be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great content. Thank you.